We are continuing with um, worthy living from 1 Thessalonians, called to his kingdom and his glory. We're actually going to cover our key verse in our text this morning. So if you have your Bibles, um, turn in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. If you don't have your Bible, snuggle up with somebody good-looking, borrow theirs. <clears throat> Hopefully it's your spouse. <laughs> Let's not cause a problem now. <laughs> All right. Last week, Josh, he began chapter 2 in 1 Thessalonians. He titled it Marks of Ministry. And so I'm going to just continue on with part 2 to that because it's all one passage. So Paul and his ministry team had faithfully presented the gospel when there was no personal gain. In fact, they, they experienced some personal loss in, in presenting the gospel. Their motivation to present the gospel was to please God, to honor God, to glorify God. It was not to, to impress men or for the sake of men's uh, approval. Uh, Paul and his ministry team genuinely cared about the people. They demonstrated their care by treating them gently. And there's a, a metaphor there, an illustration there. And inviting these people into their lives to examine and observe how they lived and to see how God had worked in their lives. And so that, that is a synopsis of the text that Josh covered last week. I'm not going to take a lot of time with it. So this morning, we have Marks of Ministry 2. All right, so Josh's point last week, I even put it in the bulletin for you in case you missed it. Josh's points last week was faithful gospel and a given life. I have three more points. So I'm starting with three today, uh, not a burden. Uh, so if you fall asleep and wake up in, a, in two or three minutes and I'm on point four, you only missed one point, okay? <laughs> Hopefully you don't fall asleep. I will sing happy day a cappella if you fall asleep. <laughs> That's motivation to stay awake. Not a burden. Speaking of not being a burden. <laughs> now, keep in mind, we are continuing the passage that began in verse 1 from last week. We're just carrying it on through. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9 is where I'm starting this morning. He says, Don't you remember, dear brothers and sisters, how hard we worked among you? Night and day we toiled to earn a living so that we would not be a burden to any of you as we preached God's good news to you. Now, he starts off with this phrase, don't you remember? It's a continuation of the passage. He's not changing topics. He's still on this whole thing of while we were there, we proved our lives to you. So he's, he's calling their minds back to uh, remember what you saw. Paul, Paul is saying, we are being accused of all these bad things. Josh set that up last week. But just think back, if you will, remember when we were there, think back to how we conducted ourselves when we were with you. The overarching theme of this passage that we've covered so far is look at the evidence of our lives. That's good right there. Look at the evidence of our lives. We were there to give you, uh, to give to you, not to take from you. Remember when we were there. Remember what you observed us doing. It's not just about what we said. It's also, it's even more so, about how we behaved. 
how we conducted ourselves. Remember how we conducted ourselves. And of course, the contrast is Paul's accusers are being demanding and tyrannical people. Paul says, we came to give to you. And these men who are accusing us of being bad people, they're being bad. Remember how we behave. So Paul worked his way. uh, He worked along in ministry. He, uh, Josh set this up as well. He talked about Paul being a tent maker, that Paul would build tents, and evidently he either sold them or he traded them for the material needs that he had. Uh, his concern, Paul's concern with his ministry team, was to not be a burden on those with whom he was sharing the gospel. Now, right now, we're just, we're just getting our brain around the text, okay? So be careful of how far you take the application or where you take the application. We'll get there in a minute. His concern was to not be a burden on those with whom he was sharing the gospel. His main concern is to give the gospel and to give it uh, with a right heart, with a right attitude, and with right actions. Probably all of us have heard of pastors whose salaries became a burden to the ministry of the church. You don't have to raise your hands. That would be embarrassing. Yeah, we hear about pastors that have exorbitant salaries and it limits the ministry of the church. That's not right. I have heard of pastors who communicate that the church, the congregation, owes them. They uh, either overtly or covertly communicate, it's your job to feed me. Sometimes I joke about you inviting me out to eat, but typically if you go out to eat with me, I'm going to make an effort to pay because it makes me uncomfortable for people to buy my food. Not totally uncomfortable, so still invite me. (laughs) I'm not here to be a burden, but hey, I'm available for blessings. Yeah, I, I, I honestly heard a story of a pastor who said, you should do something to serve your pastor, like you could wash my car. Listen, you could not make me more uncomfortable than for you to come offer to wash my car. That's just weird. Pastors who communicate to any degree, it's your responsibility to take care of me. That really, really bothers me, and I think it's contrary to Scripture. That kind of behavior makes it clear that those men are more concerned about their own well-being than the church's well-being. Are you with me? You, you wouldn't agree so readily if you knew where I was fixing to take this application. Okay? That kind of behavior, take care of me, that kind of behavior makes it clear that those people are more concerned about their own well-being than the church's well-being. Now, uh, if I could be as bold as Paul, I try to be as bold as Paul, but then I get in trouble. You know, he, he got put in Scripture, so he gets a, a pass on some of this. I'm going to tell you a little bit of, a, of my story, Okay? Now, stay with me to the end or you're going to think I'm bragging, and I'm not bragging. About 14 years ago, Diane and I opened a checking account. We put $250 in it of our own money, and we named it Desert Heights Church. That was the financial beginning of our church. We had intentionally bought mobile homes to rent out so that we would have income that was away from the church, while the church was getting established, because we knew that in starting a church, churches, you don't start a church 
and immediately get income from it. It doesn't work that way. It costs a lot. <laughs> For those of you that remember Schofield Lane, we put when we first moved in, the church existed six months. I'm telling you an extra story here. We, we existed six months, and then we moved from the Marriott to Schofield Lane. We remodeled that building, and it ended up costing us a whole lot more than we anticipated. So guess who financed it? It went on Brent and Diane's Discover card. Do you know how much cash back you get for $25,000 on your Discover card? <laughs> Not enough that I even remember. It was pathetic. But yeah, I went on our card, and I, I remember telling my parents, yeah, we got to buy chairs, and we're going to put it on our credit card. And my parents were like, you're going to do what? <laughs> uh, all these years, we thought we raised a wise child, and here they are being irresponsible. Yeah, that's what we did. It was about six months, if I remember right, and, and don't, don't hold me close and fast, hard and fast to these numbers because I'm just playing off of memory here. Uh, if I remember right, it was about six months before the church paid us anything. And I do remember that, uh, I, don't, I don't remember if it was when we first started out or if it was the first year or whatever, but I remember the church was paying us $800 a month. It had to have been about a year after the church started because the church was paying us $800 a month. Diane had been teaching the year previous, and we were at the point of deciding, is Diane going to stop teaching so that we can both work together in the church to build and establish the church on $800 a month? Or is she going to go back to work? And we decided that she was going to quit her job and we were going to both work for the church. Talk about a leap of faith. We were dummies. <laughs> oh, it was so fun. Now, I'm not telling you this so that you will... I do not want your adoration. That's not what I'm telling you. I'm telling you this because I want you to understand how important it is to me that the church not be burdened by me. I have given and I will continue to give because I am completely convinced that the best chance that you have for living a glorious life, wait, this is good, let's start all over. I, Diane and I, have given to the church and we will continue to give because we are completely convinced that the best chance that you have of living a glorious life is through the saving, transforming power and presence of the Lord Jesus Christ in you. I believe in the church. That's why I give. And I'll give sacrificially because I believe in what God is doing. Yes, I do still have to live. I do still have to buy groceries, and I still have to make a house payment, but not to the degree that my material life becomes a burden to the church. I give because I believe in the power of the gospel to change lives. Are you with me? I give because I believe in the power of the gospel to change lives. By the way, thank you for your faithful giving to the church, because we all work together, and it uh, enables us to do more ministry. So as the church grew, Diane and I intentionally made decisions to put money toward hiring staff to broaden the ministry of the church instead of us taking a larger salary. Now listen carefully. You can put this on a t-shirt. Ministry is giving what God has given you to others. 
Maybe it's not a very good (laughs) t-shirt. Ministry is giving what God has given to you to other people. I'll I'll tell you a a side story because it's Memorial Day weekend, so we're going to kind of fluff a little bit. Before I left uh, my previous job, uh, Diane and I had come across the idea of flipping houses. And so we, were, we had read a book, and we had gotten all set up and prepared uh, to buy houses and fix them up and flip them, because I had the experience to do the carpentry work of it, and, and we're smart people, so we can do this. And we had really good credit, so pretty much the bank was happy to lend us money. So we, we had set up all the paperwork, and we had read the book, and we were all ready to do it. And just because of the way uh, events transpired, it never happened. We quit our job at a, another church. I was on staff at another church. Quit our job, and time went by, and we discussed what are we going to do. And we talked about leaving Farmington, going away, but my heart was for Farmington, so I wanted to stay here. So what about starting a church? How would we finance a church? All of the preparation that had happened two years previous. It was like God had a plan. Brent, I have a plan of where you're going to go. So he gave us a gift, and he gave us knowledge, and he gave us, he equipped us with the ability and, and a path for us to buy rental property and to rent it while we started the church. I didn't know where God was going the two years previous, but God knew exactly where he was going. God gave us a gift. He gave us six beautiful mobile homes. <laughs> it was a gift. Now, we could have said, hey, retirement plan, cash these babies out. Instead, we took, we took money that we had made off of a house, we invested it in mobile homes, created residual income, and now we have the ability to make money and to start a church and to invest money in the church. God gave us a gift, and we gave it. I'm not bragging. I'm saying that's what God does, and it's pretty incredible. It's beautiful what God does. So, so we work hard to give the gospel. Now, it's not just Brent and Diane. You guys know we have staff. We have a lot of, we actually pay five people here at the church, but I'm just going to point out that Josh works hard. Since uh, we're kind of short a staff member now, uh, at least half a staff member, I'll let you figure out which one's a half staff member. Uh, Josh has had to pick up. He just has picked up. I didn't even ask him. He just picks up a lot of extra work. And so Josh works a lot of extra hours. I think he would, uh, I think sometimes I have to tell him, hey, you know, we don't have to sleep here. We don't, we, we eat here a lot. <laughs> Hallelujah. Uh, but we don't have to sleep here too and go home and shower once in a while. Josh is a hard worker. Camille, she, Camille works hard. I, 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 Sometimes I, I watch, I pay attention to our staff. I don't want them to get overworked. Uh, Camille has her hands full. She works hard. BBS is coming up. She's been working harder. I'm paying attention. And then I, then I notice things like, actually, Camille and Josh both do it. They pay for things for their ministries because we've tightened up on finances and we're being careful. And so Josh is giving Bibles to the youth. And I'm like, dude, we just gave $100 worth of Bibles away. And he says, yeah, I I bought them. I found them online. Good deal. Gave them away. I watch Camille. She buys things for the kids' ministry. And I'm like, you guys, we, we can use money, church money, for ministry things. It is in their heart. I'm bragging. I Now I'm bragging. Your staff works hard and then gives their salaries Back to the church for ministry. 
We work hard to give our time, our talent, and our treasure so that we are not a burden to the church now. Hold on to your seat. It's fixing to get all real up in here. (laughs) I just said we. I know, that's funny, isn't it? I should be dressed different to say that. I always say, act your age. (laughs) Whatever. (laughs) All of us who minister, it's not just the paid staff. It's all of those involved in the ministry of the gospel. Paul challenges us as children of the Father that we should work hard for the benefit of the church so that we're not a burden to the church. That hurt. Maybe it didn't. I'll explain. Okay. All of us our ministers as children of God. We should be working hard for the benefit of the church, not to be a burden for the church. There are about 77 people involved in the ministry of Desert Heights Church. Now, uh, if you've ever been around me very much in October, you know that I despise Pastor Appreciation Month. Listen, in our church, there's 77 people who work hard, who give their time, their talent, and their treasure to make Desert Heights who it is. So acknowledging one person, I think, is really, really, really unfair. 77 people are giving of themselves for the sake of the church so that the gospel is perpetuated. We don't give of ourselves to get a pat on the back. I don't care. I want the gospel to go forward and transform people's lives. That's why I serve. That's why I give. We give so that people can come to know the transforming power of Jesus Christ. Now, out of those 77 people who who come and minister at Desert Heights Church, only five of them receive any financial compensation at all for their work. Only five. And there's only two of those that are full-time. So they get a small compensation. The other 72 ministers, using that word really heavy, the other 72 ministers are giving of themselves just because they desire to see the kingdom of God move forward. We appreciate these people. We appreciate these people who have it in their hearts to give to the kingdom of God and to not be a burden on the church. There are about a hundred people who give financially that support the church. And you know what they receive for it? A giving statement at the end of the year. That's it. That's it. They don't get a cap. They don't get a t-shirt. They don't get a free sermon CD. (laughs) That's in the back to me anyway. They don't get anything. We just give a hundred people supporting financially Desert Heights so that we can continue to move forward the kingdom of God. Ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ, ministers, and I'm using it as broadly as we possibly can, ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ are not a burden to those they minister to. There is a time to be ministered to. Hold on to that last statement. Here we go. There's a time to be ministered to. Don't get me wrong. People come. 
Sometimes they come and they receive ministry. They are healed. Maybe they've had problems from their past, problems from past churches, past relationships, whatever. People come in and they need, they just need to be ministered to. Amen? I've been there before. You just need to sit and soak. Feed me for a while. However, there is a time for you to begin to minister to others. A time for you to work hard to give to others what God has given to you. See, I told you, you wasn't going to like where this was going. Paul says, we worked hard to not be a burden. As ministers of the gospel, we work hard to not be a burden. We need to find you come, you get healed, you get fixed up, you, you, you grow, and then you begin to minister to other people. There's a time for you to work hard. Uh, we mentioned in the announcements this morning that Tim Valdez needs more greeters. Love to have some couples help us out with greeting. Uh, I know that Camille is in need of some uh, teachers with the children's program. I know that Josh could use some help out with adult teachers. There are places for ministry. There's always more places for ministry. Until, until, I haven't said this in a long time, but it just came to my mind. Until we reach the 53,000 people in the greater San Juan County area, in the greater Farmington area, that don't have a relationship with Jesus, there's a place for you to minister. There's a place for you to work hard. That's not really the sign-up Logan, is it? Join us, work hard. <laughs> no, actually, I was thinking of taking the boat to the lake. <laughs> He's going to do some, some uh, ministry out at Lakeside Assembly. Hallelujah. <laughs> Ministers are not a burden. They are a blessing. We're a conduit to give God's blessing to other people. Point number four. If you just woke up, you missed 45 minutes of my message. Verse four, consistent character. Stay with me. Here we go. Consistent character. This is important. Ministers are not a burden to the church. Number four, they have consistent character. Verse 10, you yourselves are our witnesses. Paul is nailing this down. You saw our lives. You yourselves are witnesses, and so is God. So don't start fudging your memories because God knows what he saw too. He's putting it on pretty strong. You yourselves are our witnesses, and so is God, that we were devout and honest and faultless toward all of you believers. Now, previously, Paul has said, we shared our lives with you. You saw our character on a daily basis, both publicly and privately. You had an opportunity to witness our character. You saw who we really are. Paul uses three words to describe this. They have overlapping meaning, devout, honest, and faultless. Uh, you may want to write this down because this is, this is a little bit interesting. This is the interesting part of my sermon, so write this down. Devout, honest, and faultless. They overlap in meaning, but here it is. Devout refers to their conduct in their relationship to God, conduct and relationship to God, devout. They, they did their soap every day. They made sure they had time to read scripture and pray and, and to spend time with God, their relationship with God. They were devout. Honest 
refers to their behavior toward other people. In their dealings with what this verse tells us, all believers, they were honest in their dealings. They didn't say one thing and mean another. They were honest. And then they were faultless, which refers to general conduct. Just in their general behavior, they were without fault. That's pretty incredible, isn't it? It's a pretty high standard. So, I have been around church people all my life, and it still startles me when I hear or observe, quote, Christians who make exceptions to Christian behavior. But did I say I appreciate all you guys coming to church today? I do. Now I'm going to be really hard on you. As believers, we just shared communion together, remembering the blood of Jesus Christ shed for our salvation to wash away our sins, right? We should value that. We celebrate that. We love that. We appreciate that. As believers, there is no justification. Everyone say no justification. For willfully or deliberately sinning. The world is constantly examining your life. They're watching you. They're looking to see if your faith is authentic or is this just a facade that you put on. I've told people uh, in parenting classes Uh, everybody has a different style of parenting. Scripture doesn't give us the one, two, threes of parenting. But I do know this, having raised, I'm I'm, I'm 90% through raising teenagers, and then we're on to, you know, raising young adults. Uh, Consistency is king. Consistency. doesn't matter what your rules are, just be consistent with the rules. Because if you have inconsistent rules, you create problems with your kids. And I'm telling you, Whenever we live an inconsistent Christian life and the world sees it, it creates problems. When we live consistently the character of Jesus Christ, then people see that this is authentic. Anyone, anyone can be nice for a limited amount of time. Don't look around right now. (laughs) You know that one person you just want to look over and be like, I know who you are. You can be nice when the situation calls for it. But when the test comes and things go wrong, when life gets difficult, how do you behave then? Will you continue to conduct yourself in the character of God and exhibit the fruit of the Spirit? Or will you conduct yourself like every other sinner? Because I've heard people say it before. Well, so-and-so did such-and-such, so I just told them, we take our Christianity off, set it on the shelf, be a sinner for a little while, and then we come back to our Christianity. And we expect that we have not tarnished our witness to a lost world. Paul says, we were there, you examined our lives, we were faultless, we were devout, we were blameless, you examined our character, and we consistently exhibited the character of God. So you know that what is in us is real. Church, we can't be cavalier about our character and live in the character of Christ 
when it's convenient and then live like a sinner when it's convenient to live like a sinner. It's not the way it works. Not the way it works at all. Consistent, godly character demonstrates God's work in our lives. And if that's a struggle for you, you need to work on the devout part. Find time to spend time with God, reading scripture and praying, because until God transforms your heart, you'll always struggle with the Christian character. That was extra, by the way. So give extra in the offering. Okay. Point number five, and I'm, yeah, we're, we're, we're going to, we have one more video uh, to show this morning and uh, share a, a giving opportunity, so I'm going to try to hurry and get us out on time. Uh, I don't want all those Sunday school teachers after me later. Number five, fatherly encouragement. Now, this is my Father's Day message, uh, so all of the fathers that are here today, uh, you can skip out in two or three weeks. Whenever Father's Day is, you can go uh, barbecue or whatever you do on Father's Day. It's always interesting to me. On Mother's Day, we go to church with mom. On Father's Day, we go to the park. <laughs> hmm. Hmm. Fatherly encouragement. Here we go, verses 11 and 12. I'm not saying anything about, anything about the men. Nothing. And you know, I like Paul just keeps coming back to this point. You watched our lives. You saw our lives. We shared our lives with you. Remember the facts. Stop being emotional about this. You know the facts that we treated each of you as a father treats his own children. Let me pause for a minute because it occurred to me this morning while I was going through this, not everybody had uh, the same relationship with their dad that I had with my dad. I had a great dad. My dad was fantastic. Giving person, loving person, compassionate, considerate. My dad was a great, great, great man. So if you don't have a good dad, then you read this verse and you're like, ugh. And I'm not sure what that means. All the more reason you have to look into Scripture and see what a biblical dad is, okay? We need to understand biblical dads. So, uh, so dads, no pressure, but, you know, your children are getting their understanding of who God is through their relationship with you. No pressure. But you need to be consistent in your character. And you need to not be a burden to your kids and a whole bunch of other things. All right, be faithful in the gospel. All right, we're moving along. A little side sermon there. And that was extra too. You guys are running up a major tab. All right. And you know that we treated each of you as a father treats his own children. We pleaded with you, encouraged you, and urged you. You have to read it like that. We pleaded with you, we encouraged you, we urged you to live your lives in a way that God would consider worthy, for He called you to share in His, what? Kingdom and glory. Dude, we're not called to just be baseball fans. No, we're not called to just be pew warmers. Does anybody remember when we had a pew? How was it? Dated myself a little bit, huh? Yeah. Chair warmers. <laughs> so now we have this parental paradox. You know as a parent, for all those that are parents, you're, you're going to be right with me because we, we struggle with this every single day of raising children, the parental paradox. You know what is best for your children, don't you? 
You know because you've experienced some things. You've made some mistakes. So you've learned. You know what is best for your children. But your children haven't learned what's best for them yet. Oh, it's difficult. So you try to get your children to do what you know is best for them. You try to get them to do what, is, what you know because you've been there. So you're trying to get them to live a good life and not make the same mistakes that you made. But you also cannot take over their lives and live for them, right? Yeah, that's it. Right is the correct answer. Some of you are like, oh, Brent, you have no idea. <laughs> yeah, I know. I see some of you trying to take control of your kids. Oh, scary. Yeah, you want, you want with all of your heart, you want them to live this wonderful, good, and happy, and blessed life. But you can't be over-controlling because then they'll just leave you. Because they don't want you taking over their lives. And you shouldn't be taking over their lives. So what do we do? All you can do as a parent is plead and encourage and urge your children to live a certain way. You can't force them. Now, here's the balance of that, because some of you are going to hear, you're going to hear whatever, you have filters on those words. So whenever I say you plead, you must teach them, you talk to them, you train them. It's very verbal. Pleading is, is, is verbal. Encouragement is whenever we start manipulating circumstances, right? Sometimes your children need to fail so that they're encouraged to move a right direction. Does that make sense? So we encourage them. Go this direction. And they say, no. You say, okay, well, you're in the protection of my home. You're going to fail. And then you're going to be encouraged to go forward. And we urge them. We're always pushing them towards what is. My sermon's not about raising children. Let's move on. Uh, you, all, all we can do with, with kids is we plead and we encourage and we urge them to live the best life that they possibly can or that we see for them. Now, Paul, he appeals to them with the affection and the force of a father, okay? So this isn't, this isn't mom being a nag and saying, well, you should do this and you should do that. This is the father sitting down and saying, listen, you're making some bad choices. Your life is going in a bad direction, and this is how you need to correct it. And if you don't, you're going to suffer some really bad consequences. And, and I'm telling you as your father, because I'm sorry, ladies, but fathers carry a different weight in your home than you do. God did that. Take it up with him. Don't get mad at me, okay? God did that. So, so Paul is appealing to them with the affection and the force of a father. Paul knows. Listen to me. Paul knows because Paul has experienced the life worthy of God's kingdom and glory. He knows what they should be doing to live in God's kingdom and glory. Paul wants his fellow believers. Again, he calls them his brothers or brothers and sisters. He's, this is my family. I want them to be, they are close to me. I want them to live a good life. Paul wants his fellow believers to live in the joy and the fullness of living a life worthy of God's calling. Because I'm telling you that if you live in a life worthy of God's calling, it's a good life. It's a really good life. Just like a father pleading with his children, Paul pleads. 
He encourages and he urges the believers at Thessalonica to live in a way that God would consider worthy. He's not even telling them, hey, live in a way that makes me happy. He says, God is the one you need to be impressing here. We don't allow the standard of men to be the measuring stick for our eternal life. We do not allow the standard of men to be the measuring stick for our eternal life. Uh, I've been around church long enough to see how the morality of the church sways with the morality of secular society. I have a little bit of a soapbox here. makes me want to yell. Secular society sways a certain direction and the church adjusts to accommodate men. This is why you, not me, it's my job to be in Scripture. This is why you must be in Scripture so that you know God's standard. You're not living to, to please me. That's good. You don't live to please me. I, I do care. I care a lot that you live to please God because His standard is the one that counts. Whenever society shifts their morality, the church needs to go to Scripture, not say, well, we have to accommodate these people because now they believe differently and in order to reach them, we have to compromise the gospel. And, you know, if we open our arms broad enough, we'll embrace the whole human race and be far away from God. And what have we gained? Not a thing. A bunch of bad friends. Okay? We don't allow the standard of men to be the measuring stick for eternal life. God is who we are living for. The entire world may be watching, but it is only God the Father that we live for. Are you with me? So, ministry, back to this broad definition of ministry, which is all of those of us who want to minister the gospel of Jesus Christ to other people. I'm giving you the fatherly eye. That's all of us in this room, isn't it? I'm going to stop asking questions, <laughs> or I'm going to start back over at page one. I'm kidding. I'd like my finger to turn the page on my iPad. Do you know what a mess that makes? <laughs> All of us who are ministering to unbelievers that want to get the gospel of Jesus Christ to other people, ministry is pleading, encouraging, and urging people to live for God. That's what it is. We cannot manipulate, because it happens in churches sometimes, we cannot abuse. We can't even criticize. I know. I'll answer my own altar call later because I like to make fun of people. You know, people sin, and I just want to be like, dude, you are so stupid. <laughs> you keep banging your head on a wall, and then you're like, oh, that hurts. Well, duh. He's still working on me to make me what ought to be, right? The song. I'm still stuck in children's church. I'll get there one of these days. 
We cannot manipulate, we cannot abuse, we cannot criticize. Our job as ministers in the kingdom of God is to plead, encourage, and urge others to discover the goodness of living worthy of God's calling. That's pretty incredible, isn't it? We get to introduce people to the forgiveness of Jesus Christ and the eternal life that he provides for us and introduce them into the kingdom of God. That's pretty cool. Now, sometimes people push back. Sometimes people, they're like, Brent, I just don't want, I don't want what you have. It costs too much. Yeah. You give a temporal life for eternal life. It's a new math. It doesn't work. Sometimes people push back. I don't want it, Brent. Okay. But I'm still going to encourage them. I'm still going to push them and urge them. Sometimes people listen and they grow. That's the crux of being a father. Sometimes your children listen to you, and sometimes they uh, do not listen to you. Sometimes they learn, and, and, and they learn from your instruction. Sometimes they don't listen to your instruction, and they have to go out there and do it on their own, and it's difficult for them. As ministers, all of us as ministers, we have to be patient with those people that are not ready to come to Jesus. Because there's, I think that all of us experience it to some degree where we've prayed for an unsaved loved one for a long time. We've presented the gospel to them and they keep pushing back. And at some point you're like, forget Christian character. I'm going to grab this person by the throat and shake them until they accept Jesus Christ. <laughs> no, 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 no. It doesn't work that way. Regardless... Because we love them, we keep pleading, we keep encouraging and urging them to live a life worthy of God's calling without us abandoning the life worthy of God's calling. Does that make sense? Now, I was raised in a home where there was a lot of encouragement, a whole lot of encouragement. Diane and I have tried our best to raise our kids with a lot of encouragement. The result of raising your kids with a lot of encouragement is, is that they think, as they get older, they start thinking that they can do just about anything. Are you bridging the gap? I mean, my family's a little microcosm. In the kingdom of God, if we encourage people towards salvation, the cross of Christ, forgiveness of sin, and eternal life, they'll start thinking that they can be forgiven and have eternal life. <laughs> hmm. You mean we shouldn't just tell them, you're going to hell, dummy? <laughs> Yeah, because whenever we tell them that, they get a lot of hope out of it, right? No, we plead with them, we encourage them, we urge them towards forgiveness and towards eternal life. And one day they say, you know what, I think I can accept Christ's forgiveness. And I think I can become a part of the family of God. I think that there is no obstacle too great. There's no discouragement too discouraging there's no fear that paralyzes us from moving forward in our relationship with God. Does that make sense? And if anything I did that I think I, I would be uh, pleased with as a parent is that I always told my kids, you, you can do whatever you want. 
And if you want to do something stupid, I'll let you bear the consequences of it. And next time you'll want to do what is wise. And they, we've kind of lived that way. So we've made some mistakes along the way and we course correct and it's good. But my kids think that they can conquer anything. They'll try. Not, they, they won't be paralyzed by fear. They won't be discouraged. They won't let little obstacles overcome them. I like my family. I'm pretty proud of them. Uh, in Christianity, well, you can't do that. You can't do this. You can't do that. Why can't we just be encouraged in Jesus? And move, why can't we talk about Jesus washes away our sins? He gives us eternal life. I'm kind of going crazy this morning. All right. In the family of God, in the family of God, we have the responsibility of fatherly encouragement. That was my segue there. I botched it all up. In the family of God, we as ministers have the responsibility of fatherly encouragement. It is often easier to correct condescendingly, angrily, or abusively. I think sometimes we even justify that anger is more effective than encouragement. Did y'all hear that? I don't need you, Blaine. I got my own joke indicator. It is often, I'm, I'm going slow because I know that some of you think really slow. <laughs> I'm encouraging you to listen faster. All that anybody's going to remember this morning is Brent dancing around on the platform. It is often, just to play the symbols behind me, it is often easier to correct condescendingly, angrily, or abusively because we justify that anger is more effective than encouragement. Now, anger will fix the situation immediately, but it doesn't fix the character. There's so much more we could be teaching here, but we just got to go, keep going on. As ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ, all of us, we spend our lives pleading, encouraging, urging all of those around us to live in a way that God would consider worthy. For He has called us to share in His kingdom and his glory. Fantastic passage of scripture. There is no, this, this is no small thing that God has called us as ministers of the gospel to. Now, I'm going to recap here. He has called us to, Josh covered it last week, be faithful to the gospel. Number two, to share our lives. Number three, to not be a burden to others. Number four, to be consistent in character. And number five, to offer fatherly encouragement. Now, let's bow our heads together. Father, we love you, Lord. Thank you for your mercy and your grace. We thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you for a church that sees the need for ministering, for reaching out, for giving to others what you have blessed us with. Lord, I pray that, that all of us will be aware of the lives that we live and that our lives are being examined, Lord, that you would, um, that your Holy Spirit would just be ever present with us as we guard our examples, as we guard our testimonies to a lost world, Father. Help us to live lives worthy of your calling, calling us into your kingdom and into your glory, Father. Lord, we just love you. We thank you. Be praised, be glorified in all that we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.